the Cool Jobs Podcast. You're like, where's Saskatoon? Follow Cool Jobs Podcast on Instagram at Cool Jobs Podcast. You know 10 NHL players. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Please tell me there's video. Is there video of this? If there is, we're going to insert some right here on the podcast. Oh, we can do it live. This is the Cool Jobs Podcast with your host, Johnny Jasno. Okay, here we go. Another edition of Cool Jobs Podcast. I'm so excited. He is right there. I cannot wait to talk to Kurt. Uh, first off, the Cool Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment. If you're looking for a job, Mark and his team have opportunities in several industries and segments, whether it's finance, sales, engineering, supply chain, or executive. Mark is able to provide the process that identifies top talent and will get you hired. Check out all the job listings, crownjewelrecruitment.com, or search him on LinkedIn. I'm so excited to welcome Kurt Dahl, lawyer, drummer, drummer, lawyer, Kurt. Uh, I guess kind of what's your official title? You know, just... uh... Just a cool dude, I guess. Just a cool dude. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk about everything. Kurt, obviously, in the band One Bad Son, the drummer there. You have a whole entertainment lawyer um, business. You're a partner at the law firm as well. So we have lots to get to. I already know I'm going to have you back for episode two because like, I've, I have too many questions already. I know that already. I love it, man. Well, I, I look forward to chatting, man. It's, uh... Okay, sounds good. Let's start at the beginning. Um, music career. Um, born, raised Saskatoon. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm born in Swift Current, okay. Saskatchewan, and uh, yeah, but I've been in Saskatoon for like most of my life, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a Sask boy. So was music always a, a big influence in your world from your parents, or where did that come from? Where did that love for music A come from? And then obviously drumming, that's a whole other world because most guys pick up a guitar. <laughs> well, I, I did that first um, okay. <laughs> and I wasn't very good at it. So then I, I, I went to the drum. I, I found something that I was good at, which was drums, although I wasn't that great to begin with on drums either. But um, yeah, I mean, so honestly, the love of music, I mean, I don't have like a very musical family, like some houses, just people are singing and playing instruments and stuff. That right. wasn't the case for us. But my dad had loved rock and roll and ha- I had all his vinyl records in the basement. Right. So I grew up on Led Zeppelin, Hendrix, the who, all the greats that I still consider my favorite artists and the biggest influences. Right. Right. So, you know, I think it was like, you know, I, I, in my, when I was really young, I'd play the occasional record here and there. But then once I got to high school, that awkward, you know, phase of your life, which is high school, um, you know, I just, I really found rock and roll and that changed my life. And part of that was you having grown up on Led Zeppelin, but then early nineties, all the amazing stuff coming out of Seattle. So absolutely you know, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, those four bands changed my life without a doubt. And I wouldn't be the, like you said, the lawyer, drummer, drummer, lawyer, whatever you want to call me, I would not be that. I wouldn't be the person I am today if not for like that, that Seattle grunge scene. So I think that was like, once I got hooked on Pearl Jam, especially, and then Nirvana and Soundgarden were close seconds. I mean, like it just changed my life. And that's when I became a musician. That's awesome. I I remember in grade seven, a buddy of mine brought in a Nirvana CD and he goes, guys, we need to listen to this. And we're like, what's this? He put it in the CD player and we were all just, we couldn't stop staring at what was coming out of the speakers because we never heard anything like that ever and like you said the the influence that had on so many people across the globe to get you behind the drum kit and going like that's that's pretty cool stuff um in high school 
for you, um, was it like, oh, we should create a band and we should play music? Did you have a bunch of bands in high school and do talent shows and that kind of stuff? Or where did the band stuff kind of start? Yeah, great question, Johnny. So, yeah, I was sort of a late bloomer musically. So I wasn't, like you said, so many people played music from a young age or had bands throughout high school even. No, that wasn't the case for me. I got... So I got sort of bit by the bug of Seattle grunge in like grade nine and 10. And then, you know, just obsessed with that sort of music. But it wasn't until grade 12 that I was like, I should be a musician, right? Um, so I picked up the drum six in grade 12, which is by most people's standards is pretty late, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, picked up the sticks, grade 12, got a cheap drum kit. And guess what? I sucked, you know, like... So I, I thought I could be, I could play like Pearl Jam or play like, you know, were your Led parents, Zeppelin. Were your parents so unimpressed? Like, they, okay, there's a drum kit in the house. They're super loud. Neighbors going to complain. And then number two, okay, he's not very good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's that, where's that talent we're hoping for? Um, you know, honestly, my parents are great. Like, and that's, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have right. kept doing it if, if they weren't supportive, right? Like they were, they were, and any parents of drummers are the most patient people in the world because you know being a parent of a guitar player i mean sure they can crank the amp up a bit but it's not nearly as abrasive as drums especially when drums are being played poorly right so for me like and that was kind of my story i guess is i just i didn't care that i sucked and again this is a lesson to all the young musicians out there or old musicians that are new at it it's like it doesn't matter if you like no one's great right away there's the occasional exception that there's the occasional, you know, virtuoso, brilliant, you know, genius. But the other 99.5% of people aren't good at the beginning, right? Everybody starts at zero. Yeah. And that goes for almost anything in life, right? Yep. Um, even the Beatles, like McCartney said, like we weren't good at the beginning, but we just played it so damn much, right? And that's what, how it was for me. I mean, I played drums and what I would do, and I, I, I didn't want to do like the drum lessons. Like I tried a couple lessons and didn't like them, right? Like it was just, it was really boring you know like the the mechanics of drumming like the like the left right left right left i was just like this is boring i only so, know that pattern that's the only pattern i know and i don't know how to s cruise around and get back to it i just know i just stay there for like 10 minutes I'm like okay this is stay, stay in the pocket yeah <laughs> you know it's like honestly um and for me that was so my drum lessons like how i taught myself was i put on headphones i bought these special headphones that you could that you could sort of isolate the sound okay and you know, I plugged into my record player and put on, you know, Pearl Jam 10 or David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, or I couldn't do Led Zeppelin early on because I was just too effing tough, you know. Um, but I played along these records. So I, I got to, I got to, I'd play along to Alive by Pearl Jam. And the right. first time I did it, I sucked. And, but then I did it for, you know, five days straight, you know, for five hours a day. And eventually I could play this, the song, right. And, um, so that cool. was kind of, that's how I learned because I felt like taking lessons is, is one thing, but like playing along with my idols is a whole other thing. And it's a lot cooler, right? Oh, um, totally. And I've, and I've said this before, too. I took guitar lessons for years and my guitar teacher was always making me do scales like dun, 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 dun. and I'm like, come on. I, I just want to rip like I want to do solos. Yeah. I want to do cool stuff. I don't want to do scales. Yeah, I think. I think everyone learns differently, but I, I would guess most kids don't like to like music lessons aren't very fun. Right. Right. And, and sometimes it's not always supposed to be fun. Like it's, sometimes it's hard, but for me, at least with drums, I could play along and that was a, a real gift, you know? So then, That's awesome. you know, to, to get back to your, like, when did you form a band sort of yeah, thing? Like, like, so what was, was one bad son your first band? I, no, 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 no. I, yeah, I didn't bad. think so. I didn't think so. Oh. 
Yeah, a couple bands before that. So, um, yeah, I learned all the mistakes ahead of time and then had that out of the way before one bad set. Okay, okay. Um, no, but like really it was just did that for, for two, like I said, I sucked for two years. So, and like in the grand scheme of thing, two years is nothing looking back as a, as a a 41 year old. Like, I'm so glad I pushed through those two years, but at the time those two years felt like eternity because I wanted to be as good as Keith moon, you know, after two months. Right. And what just wasn't the reality, but I think it's, and I tell that I teach this to my kids all the time. It's like, you're always going to suck at something when you first try it, right. Whether you're trying to paint a picture or, you know, do a sport, like you're not, most people aren't good right away. And that's the key to life. The key to life is persistence and working your ass off and then just not, not caring if you suck. Right. And, and so for me, I gladly kept playing and eventually started to suck less. Right. And then, so by the time I actually hit the stage, um, I was, I was good, you know, and, um, it just took a lot of hours in the basement, right? So, so first band was that a cover band then? No, thankfully, I've never really had. I've never been in a cover band, which is really, um, you know, I, I shouldn't say thankfully. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but I've just always been a- lucky that I've been able to play original music, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think some people don't get that chance. Like they get, you sort of get in a cover band situation or, or whatever, and it's it's hard to if all you learn is covers, it's hard to all of a sudden start writing your own music. I think. Um, so anyway, so for me, it was, uh, the first band was called the mother culture. We were like a pretty big band in Saskatoon. We'd, okay. we'd, se- we'd sell out like local venues that are like say 400 people. Cool. And there's mostly like our friends and family who showed up, but you know, they became fans too. Um, and we had kind of a, like a chili peppers meets Pearl jam kind of vibe. And cool. it was great. Like we did a little bit of touring and then as young bands do, we imploded and, um, and then had some other bands and yeah, I mean, it's sort of that's around that time I went to university and that's when the sort of the, the academic side of my life started. And then pretty soon, I mean, that was five years after I graduated high school is when OBS started. So it wasn't, it wasn't that long after. Right. Right. Now when you went like, did you have a, was that your plan B to be a lawyer in case the music thing never worked out? Or we were just like, I'm, I like doing this and I like playing music. So I'm going to kind of do both. Like where, where was the, back and yeah there. it's interesting because people always say like it's a great plan b people always said that along the way right and um and you're like, but you i know, just like it <laughs> yeah like honestly I, I didn't i didn't look at it like i never actually and this maybe sounds crazy but i never thought that i wasn't going to make it as a musician like i was so perhaps naive right like right and i think that sort of naivete really is what gets you through being all the tough times right like when obs started it was 2004 Right. You know, I thought that we were going to get a record deal within like weeks, you know, um, and turns out it took us our big breakthrough. It was like eight years later. Right. And wow. we didn't get our first number one until 2018. So 14 years later. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's all about perspective. And I think it, had I known it would have taken us 14 years to break through like that, I would have been like, no way I'm going to do that. Right. So, um, so go ahead. Oh, I sorry. I have so many questions. Um, so when One Bad Sun started, do you guys did you guys start to do you start the band on purpose to record music and going after that record deal, or was it just for fun and it just kind of happened? Yeah, good question. I think I think we all had sort of um, delusions of grandeur to some extent. Like we wanted, like in a good way, we wanted to be, be like the biggest band in the world, you know. So right. 
I wouldn't say it was as innocent as a, let's just have fun. You know, like we're like, let's become massive rock stars like that. Let's take this serious and go. Yeah. It was like, but it was, it was fun, but it yes. wasn't like, like we wanted to become the biggest band in the world, you know? So, um, and around the time, so that's when I was, I started to go to law school around the time OBS was formed. OBS actually formed, I was in halfway through law school and yeah, like to your question, like plan B, that sort of thing. I think I always thought I was going to make it as a musician or I, I just knew that I was going to be in the music biz in some form. And the reason I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer was that I read so many rock and roll biographies over the years, you know, and like, that's all I read growing up. Right. Like that was my education. I love so, bios. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I know, like, I, I feel like if I ever do like a uh, jet rock and roll jeopardy, it's like, no one beats me. Right. It's just like, I know it all. Right. Um, nice. that's just my kind of what I find interesting. You know, I remember that those kind of facts more than I remember like my kids' birthdays, you know? And so, um, my, I'd say, don't tell my wife, but she knows that very well. So, uh, <laughs> um, so like, I just thought, anyways, I read these bios and the common thread through all of them was that musicians got screwed over by someone in a suit, you know, either, right. you know, usually a record label, but it could be a lawyer, it could be a manager, whatever. Right. So I just thought I wanted to be, and again, this is sort of that it sort of, I guess, captures the, the naive sort of, um, wide eyed view I had then. And I, I think I still have it to some extent is like, I want to protect artists, you know, um, I don't want my band or any of my friends' bands to be screwed over. Right. So I was like, yep. if I could be the, if I could be the long haired entertainment lawyer, that is the cool guy that protects the bands. That'd be awesome. And like, and as crazy as it sounds like that's what I've become. Right. So it's like nuts, you know, as often sometimes look back, I'm like, Holy shit. Like I actually, like what I had in mind, I actually became right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it's the seed is planted, like protecting artists and at least and somewhat selfishly protecting myself too, as a musician. Right. When, when you guys got signed, um, I think it was to 604, correct? Yep. Um, was that a, how, I guess, how big of a deal was that? And two, just like, we got it made now. We got, we got a record deal with, uh, was it with Chad, Chad Kruger, right? Yeah. Well, he's a part owner. Yeah. Oh, he's part owner of 604. Okay. So, but yeah, Nickelback, I mean, huge. We're on the label. Let's go. Yeah. I think it's like one of those things you realize that it's not as epic as, oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean like, or you realize that. It's like we got signed and then the, the the real work just starts, right? Okay. Like it's not like, you know, you don't get a big advance that's going to like... The we, money truck isn't coming is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, okay. limos, there's no limos full of champagne and cocaine. Grammys and, aren't happening right away. Nothing. No. So it, no. it's like the reality was like, you know, here's your record deal. Record. Like it was, it was a great big moment. We're like, okay, we got a record deal. Like that's, you know, how oh. many like 1% of artists get that or whatever. And, yeah. Um, but then it's like, now we got the, the real work starts. Right. And that's where you realize, I think this goes for everyone in the music biz, like w to really break through and have a success and, and maintain it. Like it takes so much sacrifice. Right. And so around that time, like we just like, that was our lives was the band. Like we jammed five times a week for hours a day and, you know, hardly saw our, our partners and whatever. And right. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing it now with, with kids and stuff like the, and being on the road all the time for months on end without seeing my wife. And we just got married. Like, so there's all these things that people don't, it's like to become a big rock star, it's like, it's a lot of sacrifice. Right. And that's so, and we gladly did it at the time. That's, that's what was like, we just wanted to become the biggest band in the world. Right. Um, but it wasn't like this, like, okay, we made it and let's sit back. It was the opposite. Right. right? 
So how many records, like when you sign a deal like that, is it really detailed in terms of you need to make this many records, you have to tour for so and so many days, we're going to give you this much money and just make it work kind of thing? Or and we're, and then they're going to help you out with production and all that kind of stuff. Like what what's the structure when it comes to signing with a major label? Yeah. And that was interesting, too, because, of course, you know, I negotiated the deal for us, which was like, you know, um, awesome. it, it was like I was way younger than I was way newer in my career yeah, as yeah. an entertainment lawyer. So there's things now that I would have been way more of a hard ass on, you know, yeah. in terms of the label. Right. But, but I think also the time you, you just get a deal you, and you're a new lawyer. I wasn't going to like start to be like you, you, you don't want to ruin the, the relationship either. Right. With the label. So it almost would have been better if we just hired someone outside, but it, it's all good. It worked out fine. But, um, you know, it was like three record deal. They didn't okay. touch, they didn't touch touring. So touring wasn't a part of like the deal. Um, okay. and yeah, I mean like they commit the certain dollar amounts and we like, they were, we recorded like at some of the biggest studios with some of the biggest producers, like for those th three records. So, um, it was a lot of money spent. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, from there, we, a bunch of music videos and pushing songs to radio and um yeah it all happened you know fairly quickly and looking back i mean it's sort of a whirlwind really it's like we spent so much time on the road it's like we'd tour come home record a record have a bit of time with family and go go back on the road you know and i think that's where thankfully none of us got caught up in any issues that most musicians or a lot of musicians get caught up in like right, drugs right. drugs and alcohol um we kept it pretty straight and narrow um, but you see how it can happen, right? It's, it's, it's a, the road is just, it really wears people down. Right. Um, what was that like touring all over the world and, and being that far away from home all the time? Cause I'm sure the first couple nights on a tour that must be like, Oh, just you're pumped. You're ready to go. And then how soon does it get old? I guess is the question. Does it, yeah, and you're oh, like, yeah. oh, well, it's same song, same set list. And you're like, now where are we? Nashville. Okay. What's tomorrow. Okay. We're over Tennessee. Like, does it get repetitive and boring? The, 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 the playing never does like the song, the, the okay. shows. I mean, I, at least not for me, I think for some artists yeah. it has, right. There's some people just actually don't enjoy being on stage. And for me, as, as flea said, it's like, it's the one out, like it's the, it's the other 23 hours a day that are kind of shitty, but it's the one hour on stage is the greatest thing in the world. Right. Um, right. It's just the other 23 hours you have to get through. Right. And I think, so the music, like playing a show, like doesn't matter. There's so many times, you know, when we had zero sleep and it's not exactly just from partying, it's just from the, the reality. It's like you play late, you have to get up early and drive eight hours to the next venue. Like you have right. to, the most you can get is two hours of sleep there's so many times you're going on that sort of schedule for a few nights in a row. And then like you, you, the second you hit stage, you feel no pain. Right. And it's just like, it's the best feeling ever. But I think the, as far as like, is leaving, like leaving home is great. And then like, do you, do you get sick of it? Um, I, it's like leaving home is the best feeling. Like when you're starting on tour and then coming home is the best feeling. Right. right like, right. It's, it's, and I think it's how long, how much time has to elapse between those two things before you start to feel like you want to come home. Right. Like, uh, I think in the early days I was like, we'd go out, we just knew we had to do it, but there were times where it's like, I remember one year, like I hardly saw my wife, like we, she would be in Saskatoon or Vancouver and I'd be in on the road. I'd come home, have a few days off in Saskatoon, but she'd be in Vancouver. And it was like, you know, like you can't yeah. like, it's amazing that we got through it because most relationships would have failed. Right. Like you, you can't, really have a, that connection, that intimacy 
if you're not around the person, like phone call, a quick phone call every couple of days or even every did she, day. Did she ever join you on the road or was that just no, nobody brought there? I mean, no, because you can't really, unless you're, unless you're Paul McCartney and you've got like a, a slew of buses, it's like right. there's, we're, we're in a van and a trailer and like there's, we can't afford to have another hotel room and like, right, right. And it's all work. It's, it, you know, I would never want to bring my wife on tour. I think like that's a big misunderstanding because as soon as you hear record deal, we think, boo, and touring yeah. and like you got everything, you got the big, huge buses and, and everything. But the reality is, yeah, like you just said, van, trailer and hotel rooms are expensive and that's all comes out of it, right? Yeah, I think I think people would be surprised like and people don't really care. I mean, they, they want to be entertained and that's all yep. good. Like yep. they don't understand. And how, how could they? But I think very few bands actually get to the bus sort of level, right? Like we we were starting to get towards that level after we had like a number one song and that sort of thing. But then you realize like you, if you have a bus, like you, it's a lot of overhead, right? So if you're going to be touring in a bus, like I think it's a thousand dollars a day, I believe. So for a month tour, that's $30,000. Wow. That's a lot of money. Right. And yep. I think that that doesn't even include like additional gas, which gas is crazy. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially these days. Right. So it's like, to get to that bus level, some bands go there even if they can't afford it, but they just want the luxury of it and then they make, they lose money on a tour, right? But anyways, I don't want to get into touring mathematics is not the okay, sexiest okay, uh, okay. subject, but you know. All good. Um, let's talk about you open for Def Leppard, Shinedown, uh, Judas Priest, The Stones, Come On. Yeah, um, bucket list for did sure. You, did you get to meet anybody from the, like, do you get to hang out with The Stones pre or post? Or no, is I that tried, just so... I tried my best and I was a bit of a fan, but like, I don't fanboy very easily, but for the Rolling Stones, like to me, I, I'm almost lucky I didn't meet them. Cause I would have just like been a complete loser, you know, like I'd have been, like, I wouldn't be able to have words, you know, but so no words to Mick, nothing, zero. No. So I tried like, so what happened was I kept trying to like get Th to the, this the, is a Regina, right? No, 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 no. That's, this oh. is in uh, Ontario. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Not the Regina show. I was at that show. It was awesome. But okay. Um, so this was like, you know, I, I, I talked to some backstage guy that was, he's like, talk to the head of security. So I go to security and like, it's like CIA level security. Like these guys are, you know, awesome black suits with guns in their hips. Like they were, it looks like straight off of almost like the matrix, like the guys in matrix, you know? Um, and I got to the head of security and I was like, dude, like I grew up on stones records. Like I, I listed all the records that like changed my life and the guys are okay. You're a fan, you know, big deal. I was like, no, but I'm in one of the opening bands. Like, can I just like meet Keith Richards and shake his hand, you know, and I'll settle for Mick if he's around too. Uh, Anybody. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he's like, yo kid, you seem like a nice kid, but like, let me tell you something, Keith Richards. And this, this made me laugh. Cause it was like, how do you respond? But he's like, Keith Richards has met everybody he needs to meet in this lifetime. <laughs> and so I was like, well, fair. I mean, like, I guess I'm just, I'm not. You're I'm like, not but I haven't. List. I haven't. Yeah. Oh, so um, how many people were in that stadium that you played for? It was a big field. It's like, uh, okay. they, they, they built it for this. It's like a, a big, yeah, massive like farmer's field sort of. But I think they said 70,000, which is kind of crazy and. Is that, um, so obviously that's your most like 70,000, like, come on. Yeah. There wasn't that many when we played at sure, but whatever. But, um, oh, we'll say 70,000. Yeah. Playing. Yeah, exactly. Rounded up. Um, opening for Def Leppard is cool. Like that was our first arena tour. And okay. um, probably like 
that's probably one like I remember the most because it was our first arena tour, right? And like I said at the outset, we always wanted to be the the biggest band, and like I think we always made music that was meant for an arena, you know. Um, how many how many so, shows did you do with Death? You know, I think it was all the major cities in the West, like from Winnipeg West. So I think cool. it was eight shows or nine, and it was I mean just I felt like again just like a sort of a a kid in a candy store. Like I was just so happy and like had this big smile on my face the whole time. When and, you're doing that, yeah. is it like going from the minors to the majors? And I'm going to use a sports reference here. So like, you know, in the minors, you're, you're, you have to carry all your own equipment, this and that, everything else. But all, when you get to the NHL, that's all done for you. Is that what it's like when you're, when you're doing that? All your drums are done. They're tuned already. They're ready to go. Everything's good. Is it like that? I like that analogy, Johnny, but it's right. It's correct. Like we went to the majors, except we still had to load our gear in oh. and tune our drums and stuff. So it's like, Dang. we were the, we were the amateur, like we were the guy getting called up from the minors in baseball who can pitch better than everyone else, but still like has his old right. beat up glove or something, oh. you know, and, and still can't afford to have a massage therapist or something, you know, like, um, like, but it was cool. I mean, in some ways it's cool. Sure. Cause one time we pulled up and Def Leppard, had like eight buses, right. Of all their stuff and their, and their people. And they, they were just getting out of their buses as we pulled up in our van and trailer. And, um, it was cool. Cause Joe Elliott, you know, the singer, yeah, yeah. Who, he and I had a good chat one night. Like he likes good wine. Like I do. And he likes, you know, so much classic rock. Like I do, like he loves Mott the hoople and, and, and you know, uh, the kinks and stuff. So we just talked music and wine, cool. which I could talk that stuff all day. Um, Anyways, he, he was walking out and he saw us pull up in this van and trailer and he was just like, and the, the juxtaposition against eight massive buses and then our little dinky thing. And he just laughed and he like, you could tell he was looking at us like, you know, I, we, we were there once too, right? It's yeah. Cause, cause even at that level, I mean, like they were there at some point, right? They probably were there for like only a few months and then they blew up, but you know, um, they can appreciate the hard work that's going into it. Right. Um, so do you, on a daily, when you're on a tour with them, is it, you're hanging out with those guys lots or is it just, you no. see them once in a while kind of thing? Yeah. You sort of, you want to respect their space because I'm sure the last thing they want is the opening band to be like sort of annoying and right. sort of cloying. But, um, so mostly no, like you, if you get a chance to talk to them, it's like you take it. And so the one time Joe was walking by, I was like, Hey Joe, like I, you know, I, I hear you're a fan of, of Mott the Hoople. I said, and. And he's like, oh yeah. And like he sort of stopped in his tracks. Cause at first he's probably just gonna, I'm guessing most opening bands asked to get a selfie or something. Right. And yeah, and I didn't even do that. I was just, I talked music, we talked wine and that was it. No selfie. But so at first he was kind of like, didn't want to talk. And then I said, I heard you're a, a fan of Moth Hoople. And he just stopped in his tracks and we, we started talking you about found common ground. Yeah. You know, like just yeah. talk like real people, right? Like cool. a, that's what, I mean, I saw this cool thing on Instagram the, yesterday with Jim Carrey. He's like, he's like, I snap on people that ask for a selfie. He's like, I, I want to have an actual human interaction with you. Like I'll, I'll talk about Robin Williams with you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a selfie, you know? And, um, I love that. Right. Like, yep. like, ha, like have a real human interaction, right? Not, and about, you're going to remember that way more than that selfie on your phone that you're going to delete or lose or whatever. Right. So, well, or, or, or you post it to make it feel like you're right. You you really had an interaction with him, but you didn't. Right. And it's more about your own ego. Right. And so anyways, I, I think in general, and 
but you, so you appreciate these moments when you get the chance to chat. So Def Leppard, that happened. And then I ran to the drummer one day and, he, and I was like, Hey man, just, I love your drumming and stuff. He's like, Hey, come check out my kit. So he brought me on stage and showed me all the, all the foot triggers. Right. Cause obviously he's the one arm drummer. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's like, he showed me all these triggers and it's like, it was kind of cool. Like he walked through like his drum kit and kind of explained everything to me. And he's like, and he, I got to hop on it and play and stuff. And, cool. um, or those moments where it's like with Judas priest, you know, we got to meet Rob Halford and, you know, again, he just, he came to our dressing room, which was like crazy. He came to us and he knew our names, which was also crazy. Cause like, you know, he didn't owe us that at all. Right. He, he obviously went on Wikipedia, found our names and walked into our room and, and introduced himself and called us by our names, which is like, like, I, I can't think of a greater sh sign of respect, right? Like, cool. um, I didn't know his bandmates names. I just knew his name. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, and that, that was cool. So we got a, it's like had a five minute conversation with like one of the greatest singers of all time. Right. And, um, those moments you really just cherish. Speaking of drummers, um, Taylor Hawkins, Foo Fighters just passed away. Yeah. Um, so sad. Man, crazy. Did you, A, ever meet him, I guess, ever in your musical world? And then B, just maybe, I, I saw you had a nice post of him on social. Maybe just uh, go over that again, because that was just awesome. Yeah, I never met him. Um, I would have loved to. Like, I think with people like like that, it's like, you know, um, I never met him, but I felt like I knew him. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's, to me, that's a, one of the best compliments I can give to, to like a celebrity, right? It's like, he just felt like someone that I, I would have loved and would have been a bro with, you know, and um, always just brought that's like people always say that or people have said that I smile too much on stage, right? Like I'm having too much fun because, you know, to be in a rock band, you got to be, you can't be smiling too much. Right. Right. Which I think, which I think is bullshit, but, um, but fair enough. It's like, I have so much fun on stage and I think that's the vibe I always got from Taylor too. Right. It's like, he was just like living He's in the moment living so presently and so much joy on stage. Um, and yeah, it's just so sad. I mean, I think, you know, you realize how anytime one of these rock stars dies, uh, it always hits me because like you realize a, how fragile life is in general, but also b how they don't make rock stars like they used to. Right. Like, you know, exactly. When, when, when Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young die, I'm going to be like, or Paul McCartney, like it's something I just really mourn because they're not making them like that anymore. Right. There, there's good musicians out there. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, they're from a different era. Right. And yep. that era when they die, it almost like, it makes me just feel like sad for that sort of era that, you know, pre-internet, pre-social media where rock and roll was king. Right. That's to me, that's the era that is the greatest, right? Like you had to gather around era. the radio to hear it come on because it yeah. wasn't even coming to record stores for a while. Right. So it's like, yeah. And just like, and just the, the fact, the way that at the time when rock and roll really, I think it really impacted the culture in a way that I don't think it does anymore. Right. Like, um, sadly, like I wish that it did, but yeah, you know, rock and roll has, it's like hip hop has a way bigger impact on the culture now. And, and that's fine. It's just, I'm not, that doesn't appeal to me as much. Right. I'm a rock and roller yep. to the yep. core. Right. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Hi there, Mark Curtis, Managing Partner, Crown Jewel Recruitment. We are very excited to partner with the Cool Jobs Podcast. A little bit about us, we specialize in mid to senior level management positions, all types of industries. We also have entry level all the way through to executive suite. If you'd like to learn more, please check out crownjewelrecruitment.com. Like Cool Jobs Podcast on Facebook at Cool Jobs Podcast. Okay, want to switch gears? Yeah. 
your whole other world entertainment lawyer. Man, this is just, I, I did tons of reading on you ahead of time. I can't even imagine what you read in a day and what you have, <laughs> what you have to face in a day because I'm sure so many bands, artists, whatever, have so many maybe even actors, like, I don't know how far it goes. Is it just strictly music or do you, do you go across the board with entertainment? Yeah, no, I do. I go across the board. I mean, okay. I mean, music is the focus and, but I have, I've got some actor clients and some filmmaker clients, and that sort of thing and models and, and authors, that sort of thing. But I mean, obviously I'm known in the music biz and that's my passion really is, you know, that kind of work. But um, yeah, mostly musicians, record labels, managers, all that stuff. Right. So, so let's just run through a scenario. So I'm going to get signed to whatever label. And I, I, if I don't get this checked out by someone like you, I'm probably going to get screwed. Correct. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, and the reality is like, I, I think there's, there's two kinds of people in the music biz. There's some of the most amazing, intelligent, gifted, generous, you know, kind people in the world and intelligent, like, and and the other and the other type are like the, the sharks, right? The sharks right. that want to rip off artists, right? And and from my experience, it's probably 50-50 in terms of the ratio. Um, so I guess that's either good odds or bad odds. That was one of other. my questions. How many artists do you think right now are screwed in their contract? Like what percentage? Well, I, you know, and and so I guess what what I think is that some are some people are intentionally trying to screw artists, like the contract are just intentionally just horrible, right? And then some are just some either got a crappy lawyer to draft it or didn't get a lawyer to draft it. So it's just not actually clear or they just, it could just be ignorance. Like they don't actually know that the deal is, is actually really bad for the artist. Right. So it may not, they may not have the intent of really harming the artist, but that could still be the intent. So I would say, I think the common thing, I just say like, don't sign a deal without having someone look at it that you, that you trust, right? Get an entertainment lawyer that you trust and like send it to me and I'll, I'll send you back my thoughts and I'm not going to, like I'll, I'll tell you the quote before I charge you anything, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like people think if I, if they send me something, all of a sudden they're going to get a bill in the mail. That's not how it works, right? Like you will know what it's going to cost before anything, right. any steps are taken. But it's always like whatever it's going to cost, it'll save you a hundredfold of right. that over time, right? What's the number one issue you see in contracts uh, that, that are going to artists or bands? Like that you're like, you see it every time and these guys are trying to, not screw them, but like you see it all the time. Like it, that doesn't need to be like that. What's the number one thing you see? Good question. I mean, it depends on the contract, right? There's like okay. record deals versus management deals versus publishing oh, deals. But, right. but I think geesh. a common thing, a common misunderstanding right now, I'd say Johnny is, you know, um, like understanding all the different revenue streams out there because there's right. a lot of, there's a lot of money sitting out there. That's like literally sitting out there waiting for someone to claim it, whether it be artist or label or whatever. And, it's because like artists don't know it's there a lot of times. So a, a good example is like sound exchange. So every time your song is spun on satellite radio, okay. you get, you get paid through sound exchange and sound exchange has like millions of dollars that's unclaimed right now because artists haven't signed up for it. So, so a common mistake in deals is that some labels will try to take all the sound exchange and they shouldn't like they, you know, they can only get half if they're your, if they own the master. Right. But, and then sometimes they don't get any if they're not like, an, if it's not a full on record deal and I won't get into the details, but it's like, there's a lot of sort of confusion when it comes to the different revenue streams out there now, because it's not just record sales anymore. Right. Like that's how it used to be. Yeah. Um, but these days, so I think a lot of labels offer deals and they don't even know that they're 
either, you know, they're, they're messing up essentially on, on the revenue streams, you know, crazy. And then does that go into YouTube as well? In terms yeah, of YouTube, I mean, generates a decent amount of money for, especially if you have a song that goes viral, right? Like, right. Like, like the dead South is a good example. Like their clients of mine and you know, their, their video, I'm not sure how many, how many million views it's at now, but like they made a ton of money from YouTube. Right. And then obviously that was parlayed into like, to massive touring uh guarantees and and schedules right so so would that be in the contract from the label saying if you're going to make x amount of money on youtube as well we're going to take x percentage well usually yes and usually the label will pay for the creation of those videos right so okay like the label pays for it they own it right same with one bad son we've got you know whatever a dozen videos on youtube that we don't own them right it's owned by the label right um, so they oh, get all crazy the from, yeah they get all the revenues from that and then they if we recoup, which we haven't recouped yet, as in we're not out of the, the red yet, um, then we get half of those revenues, but we're, we're not recouped, right? So. What? Oh, man, yeah. that's crazy. So oh, if you, I know. It's a whole so if you, if you weird our, world. If you go buy our songs on iTunes right now, like nothing comes to us. It all goes to our label because we're, we're still unrecouped, right? Which, you know, that's just how it is, right? So, so OBS, wow. we, we make our money from touring, right? Like that's. Right. Yeah, and, and you would you, would you say majority bands, artists, whatever, make their money from touring? Yes, but it's so interesting now that with TikTok, the whole world is just the whole industry has just been flipped on its side. Like, like I've got clients that are so big on TikTok, and they make enough money through like from playing in their bedroom on TikTok, they don't need to tour. Like they, how do they make money on TikTok? Great question. We should we could do a whole thing on this, but um, <laughs> you give know, me the Cole's notes, it, and then we'll do that in episode two. But the yeah. Cole's notes, how would you make money on TikTok? Well, first off, if you become an influencer, and I hate that term because yeah. for me it's like, you know, but there is, there is some positive influencers, but for me, the, my general connotation with influencers is negative, right? It's like right. someone who's like a beauty queen or something. And it's just like, are you actually like contributing to the world or not? And I, you know, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but um, <laughs> you know, it's like influencers, they get paid, right? So a lot of times like, you know, it's, so if you're a musician and you get enough followers, you know, people companies will pay you to like, you know, be wearing their shirt or their, or okay. pl plug their plug Pepsi or whatever. And you get paid, which kind of maybe seems like selling out to me, but whatever. Um, or just, um, you just run like, if you got millions of followers, which actually happens to a lot of people, um, you know, you do like a, a Patreon thing where you like, I'm playing a concert tonight and you got, here's a link on my page, donate whatever you want. And if it's, if you're a big enough artist, you could make 10 grand that night. Right. Or more. And so then why, why go on tour if you could make that just from your bedroom, right? Um, yeah. And then there's other ways too. I mean, um, you know, ultimately it usually kind of, it kind of um, spills over onto the other formats, right? So would you, you be in on those deals then for like, would, would, would your, would your client come to you and be like, okay, hey, I have this client or this person, person, Pepsi, whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They want me to wear their stuff. Can you, can you draft up the contract for that? Like, is that, is that where it's going now? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I do those deals for sure. It's like, I call them influencer deals. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I do them. Is it where it's going? I, I think to some extent, yes, but I don't think that's going to like totally replace the traditional music biz. Like, okay. um, but it's mostly like, I've got some like model clients that like they get these kind of things. It's like, if you, if you post about our earrings, we'll give you like $5,000, you know? And so, cause if it reaches a million people, like, that's right. easily worth five grand to them. Right. I mean, um, so it's, it's interesting to say the least. Like, I think that I'm not like, 
overall, I think my, my big picture sort of thoughts is that I, I don't like how much time young kids or, or adults spend on their phones. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and TikTok really just makes it worse, I think. So, but uh, that's a whole other discussion, I think. So yeah, like even, even, um, as a band, you're getting popular on YouTube, let's say you don't have a record deal yet. And would you ever advise them not to go with a record deal if they are making enough money off the YouTubes, the TikToks, the Instagrams? Like what would benefit a band that's getting popular to sign versus not signing? Well, that's and that's a great question that is sort of the question of the day right now is I would say this. If, if the artist is big enough on those platforms and making enough money, that's always the factor. It's like, can you are you guys happy with your living right now? Like, right. you know, your standard of living then hold off um, until the, the offer gets bigger, right? Hopefully it gets bigger. Hopefully you don't like lose your followers and it gets smaller, right? Um, but I guess the question, what can a label bring? I mean, it still is the case that record labels have been releasing music for what, 50, 60, 80 years probably, for, since the 50s at least, right? So yeah, I guess 70 years solid. So they understand that market still better than than like TikTok does it like TikTok is great at releasing understanding TikTok, but right. You know, mu- like selling music and getting it out to people labels still, if they're a good one, still do that quite well. Right. They understand, you know, how to get into people's ears. Right. But I think TikTok, if I could predict something, I bet you TikTok will replace a lot of like, it could become the sort of record label, um, down the road. Right. Cause you've got, it's all about accessing people. Right. And right. If, if you are that platform, then yeah. Why? Like you don't have to press records and put them in stores anymore. So, um, I mean, there's the playlisting part too, I guess, getting on Spotify plays, but I think ticked, there's already one of the biggest Spotify playlists is a TikTok uh, playlist. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, yeah, I, I see that happening more Crazy. and more. Yeah. How, how important, how important then is, is radio for as a, as a leverage for these record companies we will get you on the radio. Do people care about that anymore? They still do. Like, I don't know how long that'll last, but like right now radio still like, just like, you know, just like if you get on CTV news or on the, your local newspaper, there's something about, there's a certain legitimacy about getting in the old school media. Um, okay. You know, right. It's like, I don't know. Like we still, like our parents are still, listening to music and still, you know, in a lot of ways, the boomers still sort of run the world right now to some sure. extent. Right. So like, but once the boomers are gone, then maybe radio won't matter as much. But like, I think there is always like people want to tune in locally to their, see what's happening locally. And I think radio still does a good job of that. You know, is that ever in the, <laughs> in the actual record contract though, we're going to promote it to radio or get you on the radio. Can they promise that? Cause I know I've, I've been obviously in radio and, and in right, the yeah, music yeah. meetings and stuff and it's tough. Like, for us to get to actually put a new song on the radio, it goes through a lot of channels. Oh, and like, do they use do they use that as leverage though to to help? Yeah, and they can't guarantee right. anything, right? Okay. Like, they can't guarantee anything, but they can say, like, for I can speak about One Bad Sun's record deal. It's like we're gonna release at least one video and and one single, you know. And thankfully, they they did multiple. Like each record, they did three, right? Because the first one was successful in each case, right? right? And, but yeah, to, to, to shop or to push a single from coast to coast to radio, it's like $10,000 or something like that, at least. And that's just in rock. Right. Oh, and when you go to crazy. America, like to get a number one song in America, um, they say you have to spend at least a million dollars in promotion. So like, you can't just have a number one. What? Like you, so that's where the a song starts blowing up on TikTok. 
And then you say, okay, so are you willing to pay a million dollars to go number one on radio? Well, no, but a, a label, a big major label will, right? Right. <laughs> I didn't know it was that much money. Well, it's crazy. Um, okay. it's, it's it's stupid. Like, that's why, <sighs> like you said, it's so hard to get a new song on. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's to find, to, to pick out a positive thing about TikTok and, and, you know, social media. It's like, that's a cool thing is songs come out of nowhere now and they blow up. And that maybe couldn't happen as much in the old days, right? Like, yes. You know, um, like, well, a great example is Tones and I, right? Like, so I helped do that deal. Like, she started blowing up on, on social media and, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, she's Dance on Ellen Mo- and everything. Da, da, da. Yeah. So Dance Monkey was like, it was a, a straight viral success. And so they say, Dance for me, dance for me, dance for me. Oh, oh. Her manager reached out to me. Cause he read all my articles on my website. Right. And, and he was like, he was a failed entertainment lawyer, like to use his own words. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here, mate. He's from Australia. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, he's like, I've been reading your articles. Like, would you help? And I was like, sure. And he didn't tell me who she was yet. He just said, I, I've got a client that's starting to do some things. And I said, okay. And then he, um, like he kept calling me back. Like it was kind of like more urgent every time. Like he called me three times in a week. And I was like, what's going on here, man? Who is she? And so he's like, her name's Tones and I. So I looked her up on Spotify and like the numbers are just like, you know, yeah, the yeah. and then, so obviously I'm in Canada. She's in Australia. The deals are all based out of New York. We had major label, we had a full on major label bidding war. Um, so all the majors just like, were just throwing money and, and they're throwing these deals at us. And so we had, I was involved and we also had a U.S. lawyer because the deals are from the U.S. Okay. And, but I was able to get like, you know, I was able to negotiate when you have that much power as, as an artist, like we, we could basically name the name, her price, you know, and she went from being a, cause she was a busker originally, right? Like she was busking, like she, and she didn't busk like for the fun of it. Like she busked for food, right? She was, she was poor, right? She had nothing. She went from that in a matter of a month, she signed this deal, uh, both a record deal and a publishing deal. And we'll never have to worry about money again in her life. You know, like it was just, like instant multi-millionaire, right? And unbelievable. Um, yeah. So like, so that's kind of that's kind of the upshot, I guess, of all the social media is like, if a song, if a great song really is a great song, I think, I think it'll be discovered these days. Where maybe back in the eighties, seventies, nineties, even like, I think a lot of great bands came and went that never got discovered because they they signed a bad deal or that's a good point. That's you know, a great point, actually. Maybe there was so much. How much music did we miss out on because the internet wasn't around? And maybe now it gets discovered. You see it happening a bit, right? There's like, I mean, even with like searching for Sugarman, I don't know if you ever saw that documentary. Like I loved it. You know, it's like I'll check it now out. with internet technology, we can kind of find, we can tell the stories of the people that never got a real chance back in the day, you know? Crazy. Uh, I have so much to ask you. I'm just gonna ask you one more question because I know you have to go. You have kids and you're super busy and I can't oh, even imagine good. what you do on a on a daily basis. Uh, one of your one of your articles I was reading, I thought it was so cool. Um, it was cover bands and tribute bands. Are they legal? And I was right, like, yeah. are they legal? What are you talking about? And I started reading. I'm like, are these legal or not? Because it's crazy. So there's so many tribute bands in the world. I know a lot of people in tribute bands that rock it every time. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Do you run into that problem quite often with a tribute band? And they're like, no. oh, we're in trouble. We're getting sued by the big guys. Like, come help us. No, no, it doesn't okay. even come up. Like, <laughs> okay. it's more like, I, just, I, I found it just really fascinating, like, um, you know, to tackle the question, right? Because a couple of buddies asked me, like, they're in like a Guns N' Roses tribute, right? And they're yeah. like, like, could Guns could GNR actually stop us? And I was like, well, I think they could technically, but like, let me do it. Let me research it, right? And 
And so, yeah, the answer is yes. Like if Axel wanted to stop every GNR tribute band out there, he probably could, right? Like, wow. which is kind of crazy. I mean, but would he like, would he do it? Well, no, it would cost so much in legal fees and also be a, he'd make him look like even more of an asshole than, than he already looks. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like it's cover bands are different because cover, if you do a cover, like if you do a 30, 30 song cover set right. of all different, all different artists, like you're not sort of appropriating someone's brand, right? An image, okay, right? Yeah. Like it's only if you do a tribute, like if you dress like them and use like their fonts on the poster and, and play all their songs. I mean, they could argue that, and again, this, this is an argument, but it'd have to hold up in court. Like if you did that the night before the real Def Leppard came, would it possibly decrease the, the ticket sales for them? And again, right. like some of these, like there's some great ABBA tributes that like are so good that like people, like they said, like they make, they make millions as a band, right? So they're so good that, and ABBA, ABBA, the real ABBA doesn't tour, but in theory, if, if the tribute plays on Friday and the real ABBA plays on Saturday, I would say that they, they're going to decrease the ticket sales for the real ABBA, right? So and really tributes have been going on forever. Like Elvis passes away. Boom. How many Elvis impersonators are there? Like hundreds and thousands, right? And it's like, yeah. it's, it's never not happened, but it's just, it really got my interest when I started reading that article and it was just so cool. You're such a great writer too. Like obviously lawyer, you, right? Um, and, well, what's and, your, and go ahead. Well, and one thing, like one thing I'll say this is this, like, so on the Elvis topic, like, the good, th the benefit to you as if you're Elvis, like, or ABBA, is that if bands are playing your songs every night around the world, you actually get paid for that, right? Like they, 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 they fill out a form that says what songs you performed live and okay. you, you get, it's, it's, it's like getting a spin on radio basically, right? Like your songs being performed publicly, just like a radio play. So it's like, like ABBA makes a ton of money from these tribute bands. Just, it's kind of through the, the back end, right? Oh, I didn't um, know that. So like, so every like imagine the, the number of Elvis impersonators every night in somewhere in the world like in theory they should be filling out like and actually the venue does it too the venue says we had this guy in on tonight here's the songs he played right and um so anyways yeah there, there's a benefit you get paid from it eventually as the artist right Crazy. if you're the songwriter didn't know that how many articles do you put out um do you try like one a month or a couple of months? I should do more I don't know well it's I, I, I'm always like, I, sh I wish I had more time today because now I've, I've started doing TikTok videos, but like, you know, and I haven't done as many articles, but right. it's like, there's, I don't know how many, but a lot of them are written a few years ago and okay. I've updated them and, um, well, yeah, you know, let's, let's give yeah. a shout out to your website because uh, lawyerdrummer.com, it's just, it's awesome. And like, I just feel the more you put out, the more I'm going to read and the more beneficial to everybody. Like I, it, it was just, it's a great read top to bottom at all. It's all good. Well, thank you. Well, I think I mean, for me, it's like, um, my big thing is like, I do it because I want to empower musicians, right? Like I want them to have the knowledge that I didn't have when I started out as a musician, right? Like, um, like, so they don't get screwed over by a record label or a manager or even a producer. Like sometimes producers say, I'll give you your songs. If you give me ha like I'll, I'll hand you the songs if you give me like a bunch of songwriting credit no and stuff. And way. Like, like it, I mean, that makes producers sound sketchy, but there, there are some sketchy ones out there. It's just, right. There's, there's some great ones too. Right. So, okay. One last question. Uh, what is sound and vision management? Yeah. So it's, I, I manage a, a great producer and a friend of mine, Brian Moncars. Okay. And, um, you know, and I, and I might take on other producer clients down the road. Um, 
and then d- maybe further down the road, I'll, I'll take on some artists. But like right now, I'm just, I got three young kids and the legal practice is crazy busy and like managing artists just takes more time, right? And you're a drummer and one bad son. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so and basically, anyways, it's, it's my management company. So, okay. uh, named it after the great David Bowie song, of course. And yeah, I mean, basically I manage Brian Moncars and he's, he's like one of the best producers and mixers in the country. He just finished doing like the Alice Cooper record and, and he's just like, he's a super talented guy, but also a great human. So, so um, in your role with that, do you funnel bands to him? Is that your job when you, when you own a yeah, management I mean, company? I mean, basically like manage just sort of, just like managing an artist like you sort of help, help like help with everything, but okay, cool. Um, but yeah, if I find artists like, I, you know, send them his way, but also if he finds artists, I, I, I'm the one that negotiates the points or like whatever, you know, what his payment and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's new to me. Um, I've done it for, I guess, about a year, but where's he just, based out of? He's in uh, Toronto. Okay. Toronto. Okay. And yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's, I love it, man. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, which I, I don't know if a lot of people would say, like, I, I love what I do every day. Like uh, to speak, you know, we're talking about cool jobs. It's like, yeah, I love being an entertainment lawyer. I love managing and I love being a musician. Like that's the obvious one, right? Like, of course I love being, that's, that's easy to love. Right. Whereas the other stuff, I don't think anyone else, I don't know any other lawyer like that, like me, that, that, that's like in terms of, um, you know, like I work from home, I work from my laptop. Um, I love what I do, which a lot of lawyers, friends of mine don't love what they do, but you know, they love the paycheck. A lot paycheck. of lawyers I find are just super stressed right to the, just yeah. right to the hills. And they're, I'm like, why are you doing this then? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, get make, the pay- they, I get the paychecks good. They get making money. You know, uh, I, I, I really, and I, I'm always super grateful because I know what it's like to not be successful at it. Right. Like when I, same with right. on the musician side, like um, when I started both, you know, no one cared about me as a musician or as a lawyer, right? Um, because I was a nobody in both, right? And I had to work my ass on, on both careers yep. to get where yep. they are. So like, I know what it was like to not have anything. And now it's like every day is like crazy busy, but it, it doesn't have that stress element that you just mentioned. Like, I'm not stressed. There's things, there's times that are, I got to work my ass off. And I guess there's some stress in terms of like just getting, getting all right. caught up, but it's not like a, there's no negativity, right? It's like, it's helping other people achieve their dreams, whether they're a musician or a label, whatever. Right. And, um, and being trusted with that, right. People trust me with their careers and that's like, it's a real, it's a real gift, you know? That's awesome. Uh, one bad son. I know I, this is now, this is the last question. One bad son going to be on the road or touring. What's next for you guys? Yeah, we're super excited, man. It's like Shane and I realized, you know, like we, we lost our guitar player. Uh, he left, I think, I, earlier or like last year um and you know it's like we've been with him for 18 years it's like do we keep going on and we just realized that we were not done making music right and awesome the joy of making music is it's such a gift just i spoke about the other thing as a gift like this is a real gift and we've got such amazing fans and and shane and i are still friends after all these years which is a gift right and so we're like let's let's get a new guitar player and we have that her name's Tara McLeod. She's amazing. And we have Sweet. a new bass player, Ryan Cooley. He's amazing. And so it's like, you know, who you never know how long it'll last, right? Like, like some bands is all of a sudden, well, as we talked about at the outset, I mean, like sometimes you lose people, like they just die or which is horrible, or you just realize the magic isn't there anymore. And that's when bands should stop. And for us, it's like, 
the magic is still there. So um, I'm going to keep going until it's not there, you know, and hopefully it's Love not it. for a long time. right? So new album or tour first? What's coming? We're recording a month from now, actually. Uh, we're yeah. going to do two new songs right now. Um, and then we've got some summer festival shows. Cool. We've got a show in Red Deer. So that's actually really close to you. You should make yeah, a trip. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's connect. Yeah, it'd be great. You should, you should we'll come do, We'll do a podcast from Red Deer Live. I like, I'm in, man. Um, That'd be cool. But yeah, so like some shows there. And then from there, I mean, and we actually, we might be opening, we haven't announced it yet. So this is top secret. We might be opening for another big band in Edmonton on August 2nd or 3rd. So August 2nd or 3rd. I didn't even look at the calendar yet. Okay, cool. Awesome. Sweet. It's at a place called Midway. Yeah, Midway. Yeah, I know where Midway is. Is, is it cool? Okay, yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah. so I won't say the band yet, but it's, it'll, okay. it'll be awesome. It's, they're Canadian rock legends, I would say. Cool. I love it. Oh, man. Kurt Dahl, lawyer, drummer, drummer, lawyer. You have one cool job. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a real honor, Johnny. And it's, um, I feel like we're just getting started, so let's do another one. I think one. so. I think so. Episode two, three, four, they're all coming with you for sure, buddy. Uh, Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment with over 200 people hired. Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment will find the right person for you. Contact him today, 780-984-8800 or email mark at crownjewelrecruitment.com. Kurt, chat later. Thank you, Johnny. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Have a cool job or know someone that does? Let us know. Email Johnny at cooljobspodcast.com. You got me fiending for that first high. But the feeling's not the